Good morning. Please turn with me to Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 8. Normally I don't say this, in continuous to the worship thoughts we were hearing this morning. Let's uh, read from Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 8. This morning, if you are not here, the worship thought starts with Philippians chapter 2 by Mickey Dunn, followed by Evan Davis on Romans chapter 5. That pretty much summarized my message this morning. <laughs> While you're turning to Titus chapter 3, let me extend my gratitude to God for the opportunity to stand in front of you once more with the word of God. We as a chapel are studying from the book of Titus and the brothers that have spoken thus far on Titus have provided each of us with great points for our personal living and our life with God. Today I am humbled to speak on this message in Titus 3. This passage has a message that Paul says is excellent and profitable. Brother Phil mentioned this in his message last week. I am sure everyone here likes to hear about things that are profitable and excellent. If you go to an investment banker and he says that you should do A, B and C to gain a profit with your investment and you nod your head but go home and do nothing with your investment, will you profit? No. So just hearing the word today will not be sufficient for it to be excellent and profitable for us. We have to take these verses and apply them in our lives to gain profit. Let's read the passage, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 8. I'm reading from the NIV version. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the word you have given us, Father. Thank you for all your grace and mercy upon us, O Lord. Father, as I stand in front of you, give me the grace to speak the word you've given me clearly. Father, we pray for the listeners. Give them the thoughts in their heart so that uh, your name be glorified through each one of us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you heard of an elevator speech? Many business ask uh, their employees to be ready with an elevator speech. It is a brief speech where you say what you do and the impact of what you do in an understandable way that 
stimulates interest. And you should make it short enough that you can communicate it while riding in an elevator. When Paul wrote the book of Titus, he did not know what elevator speech was, and elevator did not exist. But Paul here in this passage gives a concise gospel message in the format of an elevator speech. This passage starts with, but with the kindness and love of God. Brother A. Philip uh, in his messages has often highlighted that the Bible contains many verses that start with, but God. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8 we read, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Usually the verses before the but God show how undeserving we are of what follows after the but God. If you look at the verse 3, right before but in the kindness and love of God, it lists our guilt before God. These were well explained by our brother Sean when he spoke. We were foolish, disobedient and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. In other words, we were nothing like God. Now in this passage, we see that despite the fact that we were far away from God, God is doing something here too. Close that gap. Going back to the elevator speech, there are certain critical items we should communicate. In the elevator speech, there are certain critical items we should communicate. We need to say when, what, why, how, and the impact. Let's look at the when in verse 4. In verse 4 it says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. What does this mean? The when part of the speech is when something appeared. What appeared? Our Lord Jesus Christ appeared. It says our Savior appeared. When did he appear? In our time frame. About 2000 years ago. So we know the when now. Let's read on to understand the what of the message. When Christ appeared, what he did do? He says in verse 5, he saved us. I want to pause here and repeat those three words. He saved us. In fact, he saved us is written twice in this small passage in verse 5. Those three symbol words are the core of the Christian faith. It is about salvation. It is about God saving sinners. It is about God saving us from a life of death. For those of us who are saved, those three words have so much meaning in our life. We were spiritually dead. Our sins kept us far away from God. But He saved us from hopelessness. He saved us from spiritual death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, The wages of sin is 
death. We were on track to an eternity without God. But God opened a door for us. And that door is called Jesus Christ. In 1980, in my hometown back in India, Kerala, I remember a murder that happened. A murder that happened. Very rarely do you hear about a murder in my hometown. So the news of this murder was big talk of the town. So what happened? A man by the name of Rani George, George, was a notorious guy. He had started smoking when he was six years old while living in my hometown. He quickly progressed to using drugs and stealing to support the use of drugs. His parents were Christians and they were actually missionaries. But they could not control George no matter what they did. He chose the worst friends that supported his bad habits. Any bad habit you can think of, George had it. When his parents moved to another city named Madras, which is almost a one day drive from my hometown, he moved with them. Being a college dropout, he started sharing an apartment with three foreigners. Back in India, especially in the early 80s, in those days, foreigners were rare. His roommates were from Malaysia, Kenya, and Mauritius. And they were as notorious as he was. One day, after drinking and doing drugs all day, George and his three roommates cooked up a plan. They would go back to Kerala and rob his own aunt and uncle who were very rich. So George and the three friends drove to aunt and uncle's house and said they were taking a break in their journey to another city. The aunt and uncle generously allowed three of them to stay. Their plan was two of them to detain the aunt while the other two would threaten the uncle to give them the money, the jewelries and other things. And then they would make a clean getaway. But it didn't happen that way. Partially because four of them were high on drugs when they started robbing the couple. The uncle started struggling and so they killed him. The aunt started screaming and the two of the friends went crazy and killed her. In their drug state, they didn't care. After the murder, they cleaned themselves up and went back to Madras, which was almost a one-day drive. And they felt that no one could connect them with the crime since they lived far away. What they didn't know was that a part-time maid servant had seen them arrive in the previous evening. She told the police that the visitors included Madras Lemon. This is a Malayalam phrase for son from Madras. All four of them are captured, found guilty in court and sentenced to life in prison. After many years, he was released on a brief parole. At that time, a stranger came and invited George to a prayer meeting. He didn't want to go. But he went with the mindset that he would rob the people at the prayer meeting. 
when he went into the building, he realized the group was simple villagers. They immediately recognized George and started praying for him together. George had little respect for prayer or, or for people who prayed. Regardless, on that night, when they were praying, a verse came rushing into his mind. What profits a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? What profits if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Mark chapter 8 verse 36. Somehow, this verse kept rushing into his mind over and over again. And his eyes opened and he saw himself for the first time. He broke down and wept and asked God for forgiveness. He says that what he experienced can only be given by the grace of God. He underwent a great life transformation. He started a prison ministry. And through his ministry, many, many, many followed Christ. Now Mr. George serves God on one of the great missions of ministering to children of prisoners and children at risk. Why did I tell this story? Rennie George or Madras Lemon or son of from Madras knows what it means when it says he saved us. Before he was notoriously known as Madras Lemon or son from Madras. But now he is known as a child of God. Because he can say God saved him. Can each of my listeners today say that he saved us? We may not have committed murder. But we may have sinned and fallen short of God's holiness. So we covered the when of the elevator speech which is when our savior appeared. We covered the what which is. He saved us. Now let's look at the why. Why did God save us? It says very clearly here that it had nothing to do with us or any simple righteous acts that we have done. It says here, He saved us because of His mercy. So the why is the mercy. My dear friends, you make no contribution to your salvation. You have no capacity to contribute. In no way you can earn your salvation, deserve your salvation, or contribute to it. Your rescue and your transformation, your deliverance from sin and death and hell, come from God and God alone. Here we read in verse 4 that part of the why is not only mercy, but it is the kindness and love of God. Why did God save us? Because of God's great mercy and His kindness and love. What is this love of God? What is this mercy of God? Mercy is defined as not getting something we deserve. If you read the book of Hosea of the Old Testament, we see an amazing thing about love and mercy. Do you know what Hosea means? It means salvation. In the book of Hosea, God asked Hosea to do an unthinkable thing for a Jewish man. He asked Hosea to marry 
an adulterous woman. In other words, God was asking Hosea to marry a prostitute. What does the Bible say about adultery? We know that one of the Ten Commandments is, is you shall not commit adultery. What was the punishment of adultery in the Old Testament? In Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10, we read that the punishment of adultery is death. Yet, God asked Hosea to marry an adulterous woman. Hosea complies. Hosea complies and marry Gomer. He even has three children with Gomer. So many of us may think Gomer should be happy. She was living as a prostitute, but now she has the opportunity to live with a godly prophet and have a family of her own. But does Gomer stay with Hosea and enjoy her new family life? No, she returns to her prostitute life. Gomer ran back to her sinful life. So what does God tell Hosea? Does he tell Hosea to kill Gomer because she is an adulteress? No. God tells Hosea to do an another unthinkable act. He says to go show your love to your wife again, even though she is an adulteress. So Hosea listens to God goes and buys Gomer back for 15 shekels of silver and some barley. Hosea symbolizes or shows God's love for his children. We did not deserve God's love, but he brought us from a life of death to a new life. Even when we were the, in the ultimate hopeless state, God brought us with a great price of his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 to 2, God says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. What is our condition now? The more God calls us, are we moving more and more away from Him? Are we gripping the world for one reason or another to prevent us from running to God? When God knocks on the doors of your heart, do you pretend not to listen? Are the walls of your heart so hard you don't even hear the voice of God calling you to come to Him? So now we know the when of the elevator speech, which is when Christ appeared. We know the what, which is he saved us. And now we know the why, which is because of God's mercy, kindness and love. Now let's look at the how. How did God save us? At the end of verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6, it says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. What does this mean? It is talking about a regeneration 
or a new life through the work of Christ on the cross. When we accept and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, God gives us a new life in Him. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, we are spiritually reborn to a life with Christ. And we are continually renewed to be more and more like Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. Many of us know the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was an educated man and was a member of Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish council. He was a Pharisee and who knew the commandments well. But he did not let his knowledge and his status stop him from approaching God. But he was fearful of what other Jewish leaders would think. So he waited the night when he approached Jesus. He said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus tells him that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. This puzzles Nicodemus because he did not understand what it means to be born again. In Titus chapter 3 verse 5 we read a similar wording to be born again and that is washing of rebirth. This rebirth is not a physical rebirth. It is a spiritual rebirth. Our old spiritual life was void of God. It was a life weighed down with sin. It was filthy with sin and death. But when we decided to accept the free gift of God in Christ Jesus, our spiritual life is washed and regenerated into a new birth. The Bible emphasized this in many places. In Romans chapter 6, we read that we were buried with Christ in his death. We rise to walk in the newness of life. John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 5, all talk about regeneration, new life, being born again, being cleansed and being washed. The key thing to remember here is that not by our words that we have the spiritual rebirth. It is by the work of God. Brother Jack mentioned in his teaching of Titus that that the number one reason for those in Islamic faith converting to Christianity was seeing the lives of true believers. Seeing the lives of true believers. Others in the world are watching to see if we are renewing our life day after day to be in God's likeness. A neurologist by the name of Oliver Shacks wrote a book called An Anthropologist of Mars, An Anthropologist on Mars. In the book, he talks about one of his patients named Virgil, which was 50 years old, but blind since early childhood. Dr. Shacks operated on him, but and Virgil got his sight back. But there was a problem. 
Virgil's brain did not know how to process what he was seeing. Virgil and Dr. Shacks found out that having the physical capacity for sight is not the same as seeing. Virgil was confused at what he was seeing. He was seeing colors and movements, but he could not make it a coherent picture. Because of this confusion, Virgil continued many of the habits that he had as a blind man. Dr. Shacks writes in his book, One must die as a blind person to be born again as a seeing person. One must die as a blind person to be born again as a seeing person. To see Jesus, to take the opportunity of that new spiritual life, we must change our spiritual identity. We must be willing to leave aside our old self, accept the rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, If any man be Christ, he is a new creation. What does Paul say? Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God? You are not your own. You are brought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are for God. We are whole new generation, all new creations. We walk in the newness of life. We have put on put in us a new person. Some says Christianity as limiting, but is actually exciting and inspiring. Why? Because through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes man's fallen nature and regenerates sinners by bringing them into a life for God. It is a spiritual change that happens in our hearts through a direct act of God. The new life gives us a union with God. There are three things that can happen through this rebirth and renewal. Three things. Number one, we get a newness of life. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says, We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live in a new life. Christians can count themselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit works in our heart to push sin out. The second point of rebirth and renewal, the union with God results in a new heart and spirit. God says, Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 26 and 27, I will give you a new heart and put you a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Through the Holy Spirit, we can spiritually hear the voice of God and joyfully desire to do His will and desire to spend time with Him. The third point is, we can be partaker in God's nature. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, says His divine power 
has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God has given us his great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil. A renewed Christian can participate in God's divine nature. When we first accept Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, our nature will become more and more like God's nature. What does God's nature look like? We will be drawn to prayer. We will be drawn to the word of God. And we will be drawn to the Christian fellowship. Assume you're standing in a room with a large source of light behind you and a wall in front of you. The light behind you will cast a shadow, correct? Let me ask you a question. When will that shadow be bigger? When you are closer to the light or when you are far from the light? If you are thinking that the shadow will be bigger when you are closer to the light, you are correct. This is how is our Christian life as well. When we are close to God's light, the effect that we cast on the world will be magnified. When we are far away from God's light, we are not casting that much of an effect on the world. So now we have covered the when, the what, the why, and the how. Now let's talk about the impact of all of this. We read in verse 7, so that having been justified by Christ, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Earlier we talked about mercy, which is not getting what we deserve. So we deserve a life apart from God and punishment for our sins. But God, in His mercy, is providing us a way out of what we deserve. His grace is mentioned, which is getting what we don't deserve. What didn't we deserve? We don't deserve to be forgiven. We don't deserve to have our sins removed. We don't deserve to be justified before God. We don't deserve to come into His presence. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve an eternal life with Christ. We were sinners and separated from Christ. But God loved us. He felt kindness towards us. He showed us mercy. He washed us from our sins. He gave us a new life. He gave us the Holy Spirit. All this so that we can live an eternal life with Him. So at the end of verse 7, Paul completes its elevator speech. He has given the when, which is when Christ appeared and died on the cross. He has given the what, which is that He saved us. He has given us the why, because of His mercy, kindness and love. He has given us the how, which is the new life and new birth, 
that through the Holy Spirit, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Finally, Paul given us the impact, which is we are justified and that we will spend eternity in heaven with him. So that brings us to verse 8. Let's read the verse 8 again. This is trustworthy saying, and I want you to trust these things so that those who have entrusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Verse 8 is the assignment after the elevator speech. You know how teachers teach you a few things in class and then they give you homework. Well, verse 8 is the homework. Paul wants Titus to trust these things. Why? So that those who have trusted in God become more and more like God. Paul is asking everyone to now put this in practice. I once heard a story about a missionary in Africa who had poor health. Missionary in Africa who had poor health. He had a goat and depended on goat milk for his source of vitamins. One day a tribal leader came to visit the missionary. The tribal leader wanted the goat. The missionary decided to give the goat to the tribal leader to show kindness and to build the trust needed to share the love of God. In exchange of the goat, the tribal leader gave the missionary his walking stick. His walking stick. The missionary was getting weaker and weaker without the milk. So using the walking stick, he walked into the village to buy milk. When he offered the shopkeepers money for the milk, they refused, the shopkeepers refused to accept money. They told him he was entitled to anything in the village because what the missionary held in his hand was the scepter of the tribal leader. Anyone having that particular scepter can have anything they need from the village. And this is what Paul is telling us. By being a child of God and following him, it is profitable for us. It is excellent and profitable for us. We are carrying the scepter of the one and only God. And if we use the power of that scepter, the way the God intends, it will be excellent and profitable for everyone. If there are here anyone today who have not decided to accept the gift of Christ by accepting his death and resurrection to a new spiritual life with God and an eternity with God. Please ask yourself why you don't heed the knocking of God on your heart. God is an all-knowing God who can help you to understand his love and care for you. All you have to do is be willing to listen and accept him. Allow me to conclude with this story. Have you ever heard of a person not accepting a pardon? Have you ever heard about a person not accepting a pardon? In 1830, 
there was a famous case that went before the Supreme Court called United States versus George Wilson. The background is that in 1829, two men named George Wilson and James Porter robbed a United States mail carrier. Both were captured, found guilty in court, and sentenced to death by hanging. Porter was executed on schedule, but Wilson was not. He had influential friends that pleaded for mercy to the President of the United States at that time, who was Andrew Jackson. President Jackson ends up issuing a formal pardon, formal pardon, and Wilson would just have to serve a prison term of 20 years for his other crimes. Believe it or not, Wilson refused the pardon. So the question came to the Supreme Court whether Wilson can refuse the pardon when it was granted to him by the President of the United States. The Supreme Court decided for Wilson. Chief Justice John Marshall wrote, quote, A pardon is an act of grace proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws, but delivery is not completed without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, and we have no power in a court to force it on him. Let me repeat the portion of what Chief Justice said. Delivery is not completed without acceptance, or delivering a pardon is not completed without acceptance. By Wilson refusing the pardon, he chose to die. Today, are you refusing a pardon from your God and your Creator? If God is knocking on the door of your heart, are you willing to open the door? Please let God into your heart. Let's conclude in prayer. Our dear Father, we thank you for the opportunity to learn from your word today. Oh Lord, we thank you that your gift of salvation for us is so simple for us and that all we have to do is believe and accept. Father, your love, your kindness, and your mercy gives us the hope of spending eternity with you. We ask that your Holy Spirit continues to work in us, to renew us, so that we become more and more like you. We pray all these things in and through the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.